Hey, welcome to New Hope Underground. We are back once again for your enjoyment, I'm sure. Thrilled that we're back, I'm sure. Excited. Jumping for joy. People just waited with bated breath. When's the next, when's the, when's the next uh, episode coming out? Well, here, here we are. And uh, today got a special guest and we're going to spend the majority of our time talking to him and uh i've known him a few years i don't know how long have i known you brent uh i first met you i think i came home from the hospital i was about two days old <laughs> uh, yeah we've known each other a while yeah one time yeah. I, one time i remember you introducing me to somebody or something saying that you met me in the hallways of our house <laughs> Or something That's like funny that. Funny thing to say. I, I <laughs> yeah, my it's, humor. it's my brother Brant Hansen, and uh, Brant has agreed. He's a busy guy, but he's agreed to join me on the podcast this morning, and I appreciate that. You've been doing like the tour here. I mean, Brant's just written a new book, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But I mean, now that you're an author and stuff, I mean, you're on, you got your own podcast. You're an author. And you've been on this podcast before, but I'm, I mean, but right now you're doing like in the midst of touring it's almost. It's crazy. Like, uh, it, it's, I guess it's the topic. I mean, you talk about what masculinity really is because nobody, honestly, almost nobody can articulate anything anymore. That's distinct and distinctly good and not toxic. Like, so I think it's, it's a hot topic. It, it's timely. I don't think it'll stop being timely, but I guess that's why I'm getting all these interviews. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, Brand's talking about his new book called The Men We Need. And the tagline uh, is God's purpose, pur- uh, God's purpose for the manly man, the avid endorsement, and any man who's willing to show up. So, of course, what this book is all about, Brand, is, uh, you know, telling <laughs> telling men to, you know, buck up, promise keepers kind of thing, you know, like... <laughs> Start being real men, real warriors, right? Well, I mean, the t- <laughs> isn't yeah, that what the tag funny. isn't that what the tagline means? <laughs> People need to know. Well, okay, so I didn't write the tagline, which is a story I could tell you, but it, a small, not entertaining story that, that's coming up. But it, <laughs> like, not against obviously, not against promise keepers or against anything, but it is difficult when you just tell guys, "You, you need to step up." All right, a book that's going to tell guys to step up. Like, well, step up with what? <laughs> that's, the, that's the question yeah. guys don't like okay i'll step up and what i'm trying to do is 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 offer some sort of constructive idea of what we're supposed to be that any guy can get his head around and do it whether he's supposedly manly man whatever or not because i'm not and um i'm not a guy that would write the book about climbing rocks with your bare hands or you know choking <laughs> milk or then like I don't do that. I don't understand. And, I mean, that's been pretty much what you've done all your life. I mean, all right. Then I remember. <laughs> I was joking with something. I can't remember if I told you a bit. When I showed, did I tell you this? That when I showed Justice my son how to change the oil, uh-uh. I literally showed. I said, "I'm going to show you how to change the oil," and I didn't do it as a joke. I did it. I drove him to Jiffy Lube, <laughs> <laughs> showing him how to pay the guy. And like, 
It's like, here's where they bring out the air filter and here's, you look at it. This is what's they, called a debit card. They'll have it here and they'll have it like, so, yeah. So yeah, people, people got their ideas that. of what men are supposed to be. This manly man, like he's, but I love the right. avid indoorsman, not outdoorsman, avid indoorsman. Any man willing to show up. Because I want guys to know if you don't fit this idea, it's it doesn't matter. Right. It literally does not matter because if you're hitting it on this other thing that I'm offering, that's what people actually recognize as really awesome masculinity. And you can do it whether you are whatever you are. You can be artsy, kind of like me. I mean, I play the flute of all things. Like, <laughs> or you could be, or you could be a guy that can can deadlift 800 pounds or whatever. It's all good. If you don't embody what I'm talking about here, which is the keeper of the garden thing, mm-hmm. it doesn't you could have tats and motorcycles and, you know, do all the hunting stuff and women around you will actually resent you for it because you're not being masculine if you're not providing security. Mm. So I, that's, that's, I unpack that, what that looks like. We can talk about that. But as far as the tagline goes, I wrote a different tagline and it's the subhead and, uh, my publisher didn't like it. I don't know why. I thought it was great. And then what uh, was it? That, what was it? For what it was, it was like in the six decisions that will set you apart, or something like that. Okay. And they wanted something that was more to the heart of any guy can get this. Yeah. It's well, not your typical man book. Well, inter- interesting thing too is in our listeners who are not men, who are women. You, I mean, I've heard you make comments that this is a good book for women as well. I think, honestly, if just women read it, but there was a lot of women that read it, it would do more good than if just guys read it. Mm, Interesting. Because there's something so compelling. Once women know what they're looking for and can articulate what that is or what they should expect men to be and why they're agitated when men don't fill this role, once they know, that can be so compelling because women will draw men out to be their best. But we got to have a concrete idea of what that is. And then once we do we get our head around it, it's not that complex. Once we get our head around it, like it's off to the races, I think. So guys need more than just a pep talk. Hey, go get them. Right. right. <laughs> need some, something so concrete. And, and, and for right. all, all guys, because not all guys are going to be the manly man as the culture dictates. No. And, and so I, what I'm saying is God gave Adam this job of keeper of the garden. Mm-hmm. He did not give this job to Eve. Now, this is really foundational. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but Keeper of the Garden, this is really foundational to your book, right? I mean, totally. kind of the foundation. Yeah, this is it. And I think this is the this is what masculinity is. For all the deconstruction that's going on, like a lot of the deconstructive books that are like talking about toxic masculinity or what's wrong with masculinity, like a lot of that can be a really good discussion mm-hmm. and very helpful. But unfortunately, the, the authors generally, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but they, they don't, they never articulate, okay, so what is good? Mm. And that, what is good that's distinctly masculine or is there no difference at all between male and female, even though those are two different things? Like the image of God is spelled out male and female in Genesis 1. So to me, those words mean something. Right. And I think there's something beautiful. So what I'm trying to do is to say, OK, got your deconstructive message, but it's harder to construct something. Somebody needs to do it. So I'm taking a shot at it. This job that Adam has, a keeper of the garden it's a job where you don't just protect you are the keeper so you protect this space but you mm-hmm. also cultivate and you allow the things within it to flourish 
the vulnerable things. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a gardener, well, you know, you know some about plants because moms and our grandma, we have a tradition of plants. Like we know it. Yeah, by default. Yeah, by default. Yeah, I we've know. learned some things. I haven't learned much. I still kill everything, but. <laughs> But I know that the idea of a garden is these are these are vulnerable species that would not survive in the wild necessarily. Like in the in the wilderness, survival of the fittest. Some of these plants and beautiful blooms and even trees, like they're not going to make it out there. Right. But a good gardener, they flourish, like and they become so beautiful. And there's nothing as beautiful as a garden, like that's well, like in, in the biggest sense. So. I, I think that's really important. So it's not just protecting in that sense, but it's all, it's making sure that the people around us flourish, the mm. vulnerable. Mm. So in your in your garden is your sphere of influence. So maybe it's just your family. Maybe maybe you're a 16 year old guy and you're living at home, but that's still your garden, your sphere of influence. You can you can hurt the people around you, or you can help them flourish. And I do think that's the essence of masculinity. Eve's job. She had, she gets this job. A lot of times it's translated helpmate or helper. Mm-hmm. And it, that actually doesn't catch it because the same word doesn't get translated that way. Other places in the Old Testament, the Azer, E-Z-E-R, or E-Z-E-R, that. It actually means rescuer. Mm. And it's actually, it's actually a word that is applied to God himself. Like, so to say, to make it into like she's his assistant doesn't quite catch it. <laughs> If that's like, because God is not our assistant, he's much more than that. Uh, so I think that's important. But these are, t- these are two well, seems, jobs. Sorry. One is given to Adam and the other is given to Eve. Yeah, it seems, it seems like there's this concept or idea behind the concept of completeness, that he was incomplete. That, yeah, that she, oh, that, he, that she was made to complete the picture of what the image of God's supposed to be, not just him. Now they used to they used an example on the Bama podcast. I don't know if you heard this, but it was a rabbinical idea of what that what that connection looks like using the using the language there. And they said there's a there's rabbinical language to show the relationship relationship between man and woman. And it was I think it was Azer Konegdo, like intention. Mm-hmm. So they the, the image they had was like two two by fours propped up against each other holding each other up. Like if you remove one, it'll fall over the other will fall. But the, but the tension actually raises them up off the ground and allows them to be higher than they would have been otherwise. And I thought that was so interesting because you and I both know being married, anybody who's been married knows there's this implicit tension all the time, but it's good. Right. Yeah. You don't know what you would, sometimes you don't know what in the world you would do without it. (laughs) That's right. Totally. That's for sure. Maybe fall over. Yeah, exactly. It's not, that, it's not that a guy has and to be And people have. <laughs> yes. It's not that a guy has to be married, but you have to I, I do think it's good to be aware of God's image for men and women and how how we we make each other better. Mm. Uh I think in in the, there's a certain tension, but a real woman, I, I I break that down in one of my decisions about embracing real things and forsaking the fake, but a, a real woman as opposed to a fake woman or a, a pixelated woman on a screen, like she will call you out in ways to be a man that the fake woman will never call yeah, you out. Now we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I want to go a little okay. bit more in depth than that. Yeah. Cool. Because you talk about six decisions that kind of set you apart, that decisions that men need to make in order to be men, the men we need. 
And these six decisions, we're going to go through those here in just a little bit because they're kind of building on that foundation that you've laid out for what it means to be good. You know, what it means to be actually masking, according to being the keeper of the garden and defining that. Like you said, a lot of books and a lot of people don't necessarily even go there. Um, it's like they just let's just give us some helpful hints of what it what it means to f- maybe feel better as a man, or well, you know, kind of grabbing at straws as to what masculinity means. But you're kind of, you're trying to base this and what what the scriptures you know teaching what God's you know, and there's this Garden of Eden theme through the whole scripture, <laughs> right? You know, oh, absolutely. where he's he's going to bring Eden back and uh, and and renew everything back to the way that he originally intended. So what, 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 were, what were his intentions? Because what God's intentions are, are, are is basically the ultimate good, you know? It is. And it's, I mean, we're supposed to be a part of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Like we're part of restoring this garden. It, it perfectly right. fits. It perfectly fits with our job. The wild thing though, is when people crit- critique toxic masculinity, and I think they should, like the domineering, I, I own everything, you know, my, my ways or, or whatever, abusive, like whatever it is. That's because you're failing to be the keeper of the garden and people recognize it. Right. You're supposed to, you're supposed to provide security, not be a threat to people's security. If a woman feels threatened by you, like that, then you, you, you've blown it and people intuit that. And I, I, I know it's biblical, but what I also try to do is like, not only is it biblical, but people recognize it when we are or fail to be keepers of the garden and they call it out implicitly in adam's case he's super passive Mm. so he's i call it toxic passivity so what he's doing is introducing threat into the garden by not by not defending it so he's right there with eve as she's talking to the serpent as she's being tempted and she's failing he does nothing and then yeah. God comes looking for him, holds him responsible for that. They're both cursed, but he holds him responsible and says, Adam, where are you? And because he was made to be the keeper and he didn't protect his wife. I just think it's very interesting that people, whether they're believers in the Bible or not, they they implicitly expect men to be keepers of the garden in the best possible sense is what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Adam even uh, pushed blame. Oh, Totally. You know, and yeah, he, like you said, he, it was more passive. He, he instantly blamed God and Eve. Like, that's his first instinct. Like, it's very passive. He's failing to be the keeper of the garden. Right. And a lot of guys are the threats in their own homes instead of, they'll be like, see, if you tell a man to man up, well, I will. If any intruder comes in this home, I'll, you know, I got a shotgun. And so, okay, fine, fair enough. But a lot of times the intruder is you. Mm. because it's your words or your lack of action that's causing chaos in the home or your wife is feeling insecure. Maybe you flirt with other women or you're doing stuff that makes her feel insecure. Like you're the guy that needs to be defended against and you can defend against that by changing. Right. And make, and becoming this, it's not too late. You can do this. So I really want, I really zero in on that because I think, Whenever we talk about toxic masculinity, it's because we're not being a, a good keeper of the garden. No, that's really good. So I think you've really laid the foundation really, really, really good here for, for you know the thesis essence of your book. Then you get into these six decisions. Like I said, you're kind of building on this foundation, uh, and I kind of <clears throat> what I thought I'd do if it's okay is I'm going to uh-huh. go. Through, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and talk about these six decisions one right after the other, and if you would just respond. 
real quickly to what, if you don't mind, just kind of in general, what you mean. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, I mean, and then, then I would, there's so much. Yeah. Yeah. Then I would love to spend some time on the first decision um, a little bit deeper, but the first decision is forsake the fake and relish the real. Mm -hmm. That gets at what I was saying about a real woman will call you out to be a man in ways that a fake woman will not. So in your mind, you can get the dopamine hit from pornography, for instance, but you didn't actually have a real woman challenge you to go to CVS at two in the morning because she's not feeling good, even though you don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. But it's, but it's this commitment to an actual flesh and blood woman that will make you grow up. So it's the fake always looks like the real thing and then it doesn't deliver. The other thing I'm trying to warn people about is this thing called supernormal stimulation, which I would love to, we can get back to that. Uh, but that's, that's why this is so difficult right now is because fake stuff is actually better than reality in some ways. Mm. Uh, that's why it's, that's why it's such a problem for us. It's like precision designed to throw us off our game and destroy us. I think it's huge. And that's why I want to dive in a little bit deeper yeah. in this podcast. The second one is protect the vulnerable. You've kind of mentioned yeah, that a little bit. Kind of talked about that. Um, and this is done a lot of different ways. Uh, but sometimes guys don't realize that that's, that is so much a part of being a keeper of the gardens, these vulnerable things. What's fascinating. I can't remember if you and I talked about this. But there's, it's very rare that there's one man in the world who that is con that is considered the most attractive man at any given moment. Hmm. But there's one guy right now who is considered the most attractive man on the planet, and he's a five foot seven ex comedian who looks like an average dude. Like if he, if he work at the tire shop, you wouldn't think anything of it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I think so, but I'll, I'll let you go ahead and unveil that. <laughs> Well, it's, it's Zelensky. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. He's the global heartthrob. He's the, what they, what they, what they call him in all these articles is unexpected sex symbol is what it, like, women are going wild over him. We don't know what his abs look like. Nobody cares. Right. He looks like an average dude and women all over the world are swooning. And I, I think it's instructive. Again, like the reason we do this is because we want to be a keeper of the garden, but what is he doing to make himself so attractive? He's standing and up, standing up for the vulnerable. He's standing for the vulnerable, and he's not mm -hmm. leaving. Right. He's like, no, I'm not leaving. I don't need a ride out. I need ammo, is what he said. But he's going to defend the homes. He's. They want to take care of women and children first and get them out of harm's way. And he's going to stay behind and defend the defend homes. And women around the world are swooning. Yeah, I thought. I thought we were. Be honest. I, I was a little bit. Um earlier in time here, I thought you were going with Fauci. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Women swooning over Fauci because he's protecting well, us they, from COVID. They were, at the, they actually were at the beginning, like before it yeah. all became politicized. Right. Like that's very instructive. Just think about that as a guy. Like, so you're not ripped. You don't look like well, the guy that plays Thor, or, you know, Chris Hemsworth, whatever. You don't look like that. Right. But a woman can, a woman can find you wildly attractive if you do this and it's, it's not a reason to do it, but it's fair. It's, it's gotta be instructive about what our real role is. Cause I think women intuit that this is when we are at our best. It's when we're protecting the vulnerable. So in, in a way, I mean, you're kind of laying out this idea of what makes the man attractive to women. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Because women recognize we're, we're created. So, for this. so is this a good book for these single guys looking? Totally. To <laughs> 
I joke about it. I'm like, don't get the book just to be more attractive. But you, <laughs> honestly, you will be. You may not be Zelensky levels. You may not have people all over the world, you know, Tokyo to New York swooning over you. But um, you'll be more attractive than you would be if you were a passive guy or you were toxically, ma- you know, masculine and domineering and you were actually a threat to your to your love interest. Well, it's so, good yeah. news. It's good news for guys like me that don't have six pack abs. We have more like cases. Well, right. Six case. Six case. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no, that's good. So next decision you had is be ambitious about the right things. Yeah. Um, this, I'm going a few different directions here, but one of them is like guys need to know uh, that being ambitious about being a keeper of the garden is very helpful in life. But if you're ambitious about the wrong things, you will have wasted your life. Mm. A lot of guys now, you know this, are actually afraid of making commitments. They're not afraid. They just don't want to make commitments. And I'm telling them, I have a chapter called, don't be afraid of making commitments. Be afraid of not making commitments. Right. Because we're so hyper-consumerist, or guys can get what they want, and they can just be a free agent their whole lives. I'm like, that may be very attractive to you, but you're going to wind up a very lonely old man. And you're escaping what God's called you to be. Absolutely. You'll miss, you'll miss out on something that's going to give you life. But, but the only poetry in life, if you want to live a life of adventure and real poetry and beauty and struggle and everything, it's only because you did make commitments. Mm-hmm. Standing in front of people saying, I'm taking a vow to you know, protect the Constitution when you're entering the military, as you've done, uh, as I've watched justice do, like, that's a commitment. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be hard. So there are probably many times you're like, why did I do this? But you stuck with it and you have poetry in life as a result. It's a great, there's, there's where your great stories come from. If you don't make commitments, you will not have great stories. Yeah. I don't Bottom know. Line. I don't know what my life would be like without those stories or experiences. Including the value you took in front of a bunch of people to, to, till death do we part with this one woman, like cutting off all the other options. Mm-hmm. Like that is a deeply romantic in the in the big sense of romantic scent, like a uh, thing, like till death do we part. Wow, that's incredible. Binding yourself to someone or a, a great cause or your relationship with God, like that's going to provide all the all the meaning in life. Well, you know what? Even in normal everyday conversation in our culture, we don't glorify those things. No, we you know, we, we run them down. Our sitcoms yeah. run them down. Our, right, you know, our media, we we run it down. Uh, just our own social media, we run all those things down because I, I think we're just so embarrassed because we're such failures. <laughs> well, I think so too. It's almost become a we, we we laugh at the things that we fail at. Yes, and we also mock beautiful things a lot of times. I think there's mm-hmm. real evil in the world. Oh and yeah, yeah. We we stigmatize all the wrong things. And then we don't stigmatize things that need to be stigmatized in order for humans to flourish. Mm -hmm. So like not telling, like leaving guys without any vision for masculinity. How's that working? Right. Uh, Our suicide rate is through the roof and it's mainly guys. Mm -hmm. Our, our drug addictions are through the roof and it's mainly guys. Homelessness is through the roof. It's mainly guys. Guys are not going to college anymore at any sort of the rate they used to. There's no, there's no trajectory, no momentum. And it's like our whole culture has been, again, precision designed to destroy mm-hmm. men, to take us off our game. Well, I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, the inner city problems. You know, when I worked in the inner city of Indianapolis, how many, how many times we heard over and over that where are the dads? 
Yeah. Well, at the, where at are the, the dads? Where are the men? Right. Watch what happens to the garden when no one's keeping it. Mm-hmm. And women have to step up and do it. And it's not the case. Like culturally, I understand the resentment against men if we're not doing it. Right. I understand that. And women and women honestly asking, what are men for? Like if we haven't embodied this, if we've turned ourselves into entertainment consuming machines and we're not actually showing up, we don't understand. We're not even telling our young guys like this is your role. This is what you're here for. Like we're not even doing that. I can understand women resenting it and feeling like they have to do it themselves. And I would also expect a society that did not know what men were for to be incredibly anxious. Mm. And we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, so the results of what you're talking about are really evident. Uh, oh, what about it, uh, it, me? Sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> no, I just you're right. It's catastrophic. And what about make women and children feel safe? Well, this is, really important. And I got into this a little bit with, with you a little bit earlier about um, how a lot of guys will be like, I'll, I'll protect the home when it's like, no, you need to be the source of security by building people. It's your words or lack of words mm-hmm. that can create insecurity or a beautifully secure home. Like this garden can feel wonderful to the kids and like that want to be around you because they feel secure with you or you can introduce this insecurity into the home that leaves them struggling with it the rest of their lives. Like this is just how it works. Um, and I, I'm trying to get guys to understand like the best thing you can do is to create this space where the people inside your own home, the people nearest you actually feel secure. Same thing goes outside the home. Your neighborhood should be safer simply because you're there. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fight guy. Neither are you. I think you're the only person I've ever fought with. <laughs> <laughs> and I won, and I won, but yeah. uh, but now even though you're my little brother and I'm a lot physically you know, bigger than you, you could you could take me now. I know I know I you could anytime. Oh, I, doubt I doubt it. But, <laughs> but you know what? I'm aware, and in my neighborhood, I've there's been some. I put myself in harm's way a few times now, like like physically in harm's way. A couple times it's been to defend kids. A couple of times it's been to defend someone who was special needs in our community. Like I could have gotten my, I could have gotten punched in the face or attacked, but I'm willing to do it. It's not because I'm like super whatever guy. I'm not, I'm a, you know, I'm the opposite of that, but I'm aware and I'm willing to do it. I want my neighborhood to be safer, whether people know it or not. A lot of times they'll, if you're 22 and you're walking around the neighborhood and you're a guy, people will walk to the other side of the street or they're worried that you're, you're in the neighborhood. Like there's this young guy, mm-hmm. but wouldn't it be wonderful if you felt safer because men in their physical prime were in your neighborhood? Yeah. That's the way it should be, not threatened. Because they're men of character. Right. And they yeah. use their physical gifts, whatever energy or risk-taking impetus they have. Like it's actually to, once they know it's to defend the, the vulnerable, well, that would make a lot safer culture. Yeah. But that's the way it should be. Instead of, instead, like we're the ones causing all the crimes. It's young men that are responsible. Right. Like- wouldn't it be wonderful if they had a vision and we use their physical gifts and willingness to take risks to actually defend the truth and, and goodness and, and safety? People who need defended. Yeah, the vulnerable. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's an unsafe world, especially on the Oscar stage. Um, <laughs> uh, choose today who you will become. So this is a big Dallas Willard thing for me. 
um, as you know, I'm a big fan. But he you says, you know, our pastor, you... Pastor Tyler Sturkey at our church here is going to love you for this. So, oh, really? Say, shout yeah. out to Tyler for this Dallas Willard quote or or, on, or content. Here we go. So, Dallas is all about who you're becoming is everything. Like that's what matters. And he says, you determine who you become by what you pay attention to. Mm. That's it. That's really your only currency. And you really do pay it. Like you, when you, when you're paying attention to something, you're, you're buying a ticket for your brain to attend to something you're attending. Like this will determine who you're becoming. So be very careful about what you're paying attention to. It's vitally important to the people around you. You can, and the trajectory is set now. C.S. Lewis talked about that. It starts off as a grumble and you let yourself grumble and be bitter when you're 20 or 25 and 30. But by the time you're older, there's nothing else left but a grumble. Mm. And it's like a machine going on forever, he said. So we become more and more of what we are paying attention to and what we're allowing in our lives. And I was, I'm just saying, I know some old guys that are like saints and they will listen. Dallas Willard's a great example. He's passed away, but he would listen to people. He cared about them. Everybody felt special when they're around him. He was a source of wisdom. He wasn't in a hurry. He had an easy mm -hmm. laugh. Mm -hmm. So there's older people like that. And then there's the bitter guy at Walmart that'll hit you with a shopping cart. And you're like, <laughs> I really do want to ask for people, you know, you encounter these older people. They're really, really, really angry. Oh, yeah. And I always want to ask, and I don't because I know it's incendiary, but I want to, I, I honestly want to ask, like, have you always been angry or is it just now? But you can see they have been because they wear it on their faces. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. you own it. Yeah. And people don't just snap. You just become more and more of this thing that you've allowed yourself to be. And it goes, you, you become a, a caricature of that as you get older for good or bad. And the example I use too is like, you can do a moonshot where you launch a rocket. If you're off by one degree, you'll miss the moon by 4,000 miles. Hmm. So it's really important when you're young to guide uh, your attitude to put your attention, keep bringing your attention back to God, even for 15 seconds, like just, just thank him for something, talk out loud to him, read good things. Like it matters intensely what you're putting your mind on that determines who you're becoming. And we need you to become the, the older guy who's actually secure and not someone who's still chafing for significance and is still needy at age 60 or 70. That's really good. I think life is built on gradual slopes. Yes. Yeah, that's really good. And last one is take responsibility for your own spiritual life, which seems obvious. Yeah, well, it, it does. But a lot of guys get discouraged, as you know. And I wrote about this in Blessed Are the Misfits. But uh, people can think of spirituality as emotions. And they tend to do that in our culture. It's like your soul is, you know, this emotional, I can feel God's presence. Or, or we set up worship services to get a certain emotional reaction. But not everybody reacts the same particularly guys, although there's women like this too, that might be less apt to respond emotionally and might start to think because they're not feeling God around. They might start to think maybe I've done something so wrong or maybe God doesn't exist or something's wrong with me. And I just wanted to remind guys, A, no one is going to take responsibility for you. Like mm -hmm. your relationship with God starts now. You can talk to him now. No one's going to do it for you. Right. It's an opportunity. It's not a guilt trip. It's an opportunity. 
But the second thing I want them to know is God's actually looking for not emotions. He's looking for loyalty. He's looking for believing loyalty. Like Michael Heiser says, like Mm -hmm. that's, that's what he really honors. And that's something that even if you don't feel a lot of emotions, it's okay. You can, you can do the loyalty thing. And for a lot of guys, like I get loyalty. That means even though I'm a sinner, I keep showing up. Like I may have blown it, but I'm not giving up on this relationship with God. I'm going to talk to him again and again and again. I'm not going to disappear. So I'm just trying to encourage guys to go the loyalty direction and conceive of it that way. And, and you've got to engage in it yourself. Um, and it's to your benefit. So that's what I'm trying to say. So we, so we can grow up. In a way, it's kind of, <clears throat> kind of hard to practice believing loyalty with God over a long term when you're not doing that in your relationships, short, you know, in the people, people next to you. You know, if, if every if every relationship you have a short term because you're you don't want commitment, oh, you don't want to, you know, it's it's hard to. I don't know. It seems like it seems like our relationship with God fluctuates so much in, the, in our relationships with each other, and I'm not not saying that it has to, but I'm just I'm just yeah. it just seems like it does. And well, it works if, like a relationship. Yeah, if I mean, we're if we're not loyal with with people and with God, usually it's pretty synonymous. Is what I'm trying to say. It is. I guess. It is, and that loyalty to God will work itself out, and you becoming a different person relationally. Yeah, with other people, you're not so be loyal needy. to Him you're first. And see what Yeah, that's really good. I, <clears throat> I wanted to kind of get a little deeper. Um, maybe just spend a few more minutes here on looking at the first uh, decision, which is forsake the fake and relish the real. I would love to. I wish we had the time, cause I, and I know you're too, you know, too busy, but. Well, I had the time to do six podcasts diving into each one of these, you know, even yeah. deeper. But I this one really interests me for a couple reasons. Um, one is because when I read it, and um, and let's let's put it this way: so people who haven't read it yet, yeah, and you need to, but 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 you really dive into uh, things like when we call it the fake world, things like how much time men spend with pornography. And uh, sexual addiction, that kind of thing, but also even with video games, mm-hmm. you know, which, which is real evident in our. I mean, men today, if you think about the ages of men, grew up with video games and these kinds totally. of things, and also access to pornography everywhere, everywhere. And right. so, I understand by forsaking the fake and relish the real, but how much of it? I guess I'm having a. Here's where I'm. I'm. I'm kind of wanted to kind of pick your brain about. Is I, is I, I know where you're going in the in the book, and um, and I and I appreciate it, uh, a lot of things I read there. Uh, but I'm just curious, just in general, how lonely do you think men are? Because I, I feel like that's what I hear when I read that section more than anything. And how much is society to blame versus us? Yeah, uh, I think we're very lonely, and I think society is, and I'm not uh, just. We all are responsible for ourselves. However, our society is, again, precision designed to destroy us, Mm. particularly men. Mm. And the fact is, I I use this example of supernormal stimulation because they've proven it's just one one guy did like studies with animals and he like would study these stickleback fish. I guess they have red undersides or something. And he found that if he made fake ones that had even brighter red undersides, 
they would all go crazy around him. Like they would fight more than usual and everything. These fake fish, they just drove him crazy. Another example, he used several different animal examples, but the one I remember the most is the butterfly one. He would take like a little tube and take the colors that female butterflies would display and he would amp those colors up so they'd be more vibrant mm. and take this tiny tube and paint it with these colors, even though it didn't have wings. And the male butterflies would see these tubes with amplified female colors and go wild and try to mate with these little things. And they would ignore the actual female butterflies completely that are flapping their wings, trying to get the male's attention, but they're being ignored while the male butterflies try to mate with this fake thing. That's exaggerated. Hmm. I saw I had a friend, uh, James Carey from Carey and Cooper and Carey podcast. He's awesome. Um, he sent me a, a, a new BBC documentary. It's a, the green earth or something like that. But it's interesting is there's this orchid that looks like a female wasp, like precision designed to look like a female wasp. And it does that so that the male wasp will come over, try mm. to mate with it and spread the pollen around or whatever it is. Wow. Attractive wasp. Get, yeah. And it, it even grows to the exact height, you know, a few feet off the ground that the female wasp like to hang out at to attract the males. Hmm. And the males will come and it shows it in slow motion. These male wasps, like ignoring, flying right past the female wasp, going to these more vivid, fake females and then getting sticky stuff all over them. They can't fly. They just slowly fall to the ground and die. Mm. So there's something about this and the, the real world can't live up to the fake world. It can't. Mm -hmm. This is why video games, I love video games. You know that, like, I love it. Yeah, we have some, but, we have some great but, stories with our video game escapades. You do. It's it's a relational thing. Too, but <laughs> but the, but the truth is, there's there's guys that shut themselves in. They're called hikikomori in Japan. There's like two million dudes now that shut themselves in just with their pornography and their games, and they don't leave the house. Well, the that, the, the money they can make nowadays in video oh, games and pornography. Sure. I mean, think about the money. I mean, they, they don't need to leave their house. That's what's they even, even more sad. But this speaks to what you're saying about the fact, the fact that video games can pay off a dopamine hit so much faster than real life. Like right. you're leveling up or you're winning the game or whatever. Right. In real life, it's just much slower. You don't get all these dopamine hits. The problem is it trains your brain to need all these hits. The other problem is you're right about relationships. They're hard. So men in particular, we tend to gravitate towards the things we're good at. Mm -hmm. And we spend time that we camp out there. Maybe we're really good at fixing stuff or you're really good at playing guitar or really relationships. Nobody really feels like we're great at that. It's difficult. It's difficult to know your neighbors. What I said is actually takes more bravery to cross the street than it does to go to the other side of the world. Mm. And I've done, I've gone to, you know, Afghanistan a few times or done crazy stuff that seems cool, but it's actually more brave for me to talk to my neighbors than it is to do that. Yeah. So relationships are hard. What I'm trying to tell guys too is like, look, reality can't compete with this fake stuff. The fake stuff is so exaggerated. It's so unreal, but you don't want to look back and have missed out. And you wind up a lonely old man and have missed out on real relationships and real adventures and everything you had was virtual. You just don't, nobody does. 
Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to say about the pornography thing, it's not what I'm sharing is not a guilt trip. And I want to make that clear. I am actually, I feel sorry for us. It's not supposed to be this difficult. No generation of men have ever faced this before. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Mm-hmm. They couldn't even imagine it. Mm-hmm. So I feel for us. Here's the, here's the thing too. What I, what I tried to show in the, in the book, the good news is a lot of our ennui, a lot of our listlessness that's caused by giving the, giving the end of pornography after, after breaking away from it, the studies have shown that we recover really well. Like we get back a lot of energy. We get like, we change. Right. And I think that's really exciting. There's a whole Reddit subthread about giving up porn. And it's not even a Christian thing per se, but these guys are talking about, I didn't realize like a lot of my loneliness was caused by pornography. Mm. And I'm actually more, I have more energy for relationships. I have more confidence. I'm getting stuff done. Like their whole lives are different. And you can read one testimony after another. Yes, not even from a Christian standpoint. It's just going, wow, this stuff is killing us. But... I'm not even, so a lot of guys are like, I'm not even ADD anymore. Wow. I'm able to focus. Like a lot of the stuff that we have diagnosed, we don't want to attribute to porn use, but there's, there's thinkers out there who are going, actually it's downstream from porn use. A lot of the stuff that teenage boys are struggling with, like, well, it's, you, you take this away and a lot of this other stuff takes care of itself. Mm. It's fascinating. I can just imagine the anxiety levels. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and depression and stuff like, well, I, I just presume a 14 or 15 year old, when people are telling me about how depressed their son is, I'm not saying this to be like, this is what a sinner. I'm, I feel for him. I just presume he's got a porn problem. Mm. I, mm. I presume because it's, it's just so likely in this culture and the way they've set it up, it's just, it's, it's death to young guys in particular. I, I, I hurt for us, uh, but there's so much good news about moving past that and so much good reason to do it. But you have to have a larger vision for who you want to be before you can give something up. You can't just give something up for nothing. Mm-hmm. You have to have a larger vision you're in love with that. Then now I can start moving away from this. I can start structuring my life more differently, more differently, just differently um, so that I don't have to deal with this issue all the time. I'm too busy. I got other stuff going on. Well, I tell you what, this, <clears throat> this sure opens up a can of worms <laughs> in yeah. so many ways. I mean, in so many different areas, not just in pornography or just, just in even loneliness or, but it, that's the one we're kind of focused on here, but all, all through, through six of these decisions and, and through your book, I mean, there's a lot of discussion. So, I'm curious, like, obviously, this is a church podcast, you know, for our, our church here at New Hope in Effingham, Illinois. And, um, and what are kind of the, um, I guess the best way to put it, what's the, what do you think is the best thing that can happen when it comes to us trying to implement some of these discussions that are, you know, that you're kind of focused on in your book uh, with our church? You know, what, what does it do for church leaders? How can we... Uh, kind of cultivate men we need? Well, I think it's a great question. It's t- it sounds totally self-serving, but I wouldn't have written a book if it weren't true, like that I thought people should read this. So I do want people to read it. If somebody writes a better book, and maybe they have, I don't, I don't doubt it, 
that lays out this keeper of the garden concept and that's that that's what we're really here for then i would i would say spend some time in it propagate it study it together and then tell the younger guys and the younger women what distinctly is good about masculinity in these terms and mm. i think it'll click with them like I, I use the example of that poster, like in, in chapter one of this guy holding a baby and women going wild over this poster. It's because of the way the baby's looking at him. Like there's something that women intuit that's so good about a man who provides security and who isn't a threat. Like there's something so good about this. I would propagate that even little boys get it. Because I, I think I told you Justice was picking on Julia one time when they were little. And I was like, Justice? wait a second, you're supposed to protect your little sister, not terrorize her. Like you're, you're supposed to protect her from people like you. Mm. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And that got through to him. I don't think we ever had a problem again. And it's not because it was like, I don't know. I just, I just told him for some reason. I hadn't thought to tell him like be intentional about giving a role to the young man in the home now. Like, do you realize when you talk back to your mom or you this or that, like you're betraying your role mm. as a protector and a, def a defender. We're trying to make you a keeper of the garden here and you're actually becoming a threat in the garden. Little kids can understand that. And you know what? It really resonates with the, with the boy's heart to actually have a role. Right. So I think you can do that. You can inculcate that in kids and then Oh church gosh, and you can make the argument that the boy's roles disappeared from our society. Almost. I mean, just we, we don't, not, yeah, we don't not allowed know. to be boys. <laughs> Yeah. So having yeah. a vision for this, I think it'd be so helpful. Also, also, there are some brilliant discussion questions in the book that I wrote by myself <laughs> that I think uh, people will really love. So. <laughs> yeah. You told me there were some things changed. I've looked through it. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember what I wrote. Any, no, you it's, know. it's basically what you wrote. There's <clears throat> a few things tweaked, but it's basically what you wrote. Well, so. it's, 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 it's really good. The discussion questions, especially. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's really good. No, I, so in other words, I think it'd be good for like our youth leaders to be reading this, our, our parents yes. to be reading this, our, right. and having discussions with their kids, but also maybe even in our youth groups and maybe uh, our small groups, you know, uh, our families reading this together and how, how are we challenging each other as to what this means in our, in our own homes? Yeah, I would love that. I'd love to be, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in the discussions too. I'd like to know how it goes. Uh, it, like there's so much here. I try to make this book short and to the point. So the chapter is really short, but I do think there's a lot to discuss and I hope it's wise. I, I ask God, like if, if I'm going to say foolish stuff, just please stop me. But there's also a proverb that says where words are many, foolishness is not far behind or something. So... <laughs> I also realize there's a lot of wisdom is just shutting up every now and then. <laughs> well, here's what's here's what's good, Brent. You need to hear this. I mean, I don't think any of this is is foolish because you got all the foolish stuff out of the way while we were growing up. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I've told sad. people I don't know how many times. You know, wisdom is when you were young, you were stupid and didn't know it, and now you're older and you know it. Yeah, bingo. You're stupid. You figured it out. Yeah. That you are. And you also know how much that's worth. Too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I remember days you and I, we played baseball a lot together out in the backyard and we pretended we were uh, Ozzy, Tommy and Keith. 
Totally. From the Cardinals of early 80s, even though we were only two of us, we played three guys. But <laughs> I have to admit, I'm kind of jealous. Baseball started back up again, and you lived down there in Cardinal Spring Training area. It's so awesome. I mean, it's a dream. We never thought, because you grow up and you're like, I wish I could go to spring training and now live here literally out on a walk. I just walk by the Cardinals warming up. They're all in their uniforms and stuff. Or literally walking across the street as I'm walking, and they're all in their uniforms. Oh, you make me sick. Yeah, it's it's really neat. It's such a it brings out the little kid like because you kind of bond with the colors and the birds on the bat and and these players and whatnot. It's just it's very sweet. That's pretty awesome. Hey, yeah. thank thank you so much for being on the show again. Of course. And thank you for listening to New Hope Underground. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Brant Hansen. Go right out there and buy that book, The Men We Need. You can find it on Amazon or other various retailers. And check back in with us here at New Hope Underground. Every two weeks or so, we try to drop an episode, and we got some great interviews coming up. So stay tuned. We'll see you later. <laughs>